my niece uh, that you've heard me mention before, her name's Katrina, and she lives in Nashville and uh, has grown up in Nashville, has been there her whole life. And she had the craziest experience the other day. Uh, I, I got to tell you about it. She um, had a knock at the door, and she went to the door, and, and somebody was there. She thought, kind of looked familiar, but not really. And she opened the door, and the, there was a girl on the other side. She said, are you Katrina Maddox? And Katrina said, yes. She goes, now you, and you, you've worked at the Grand Ole Opry. She said, yeah, I worked there for, for 17 years. And, and, and uh, this woman says, okay, I don't want this to sound awkward, I'm Carrie Underwood, and I've watched you over the years, and I think you have a real special kind of demeanor, and I want to be your friend. And so I've, I've bought the house across the street from you. I hope it's not weird that I, I just I bought it so I could be near you. Okay, that didn't happen. Wouldn't that be weird, though? I mean, wouldn't that be weird if Taylor Swift, if... if uh, you know, Bono, whoever your person is, knocked on your door one day and just said, I want to be close to you. I just want to be your friend. And so here I am, obviously he wouldn't say it like this, but here I am, Mr. Movie Star, who can live anywhere in the world. And I want to live in your neighborhood and be close to you. Wouldn't that be awkward? (laughs) But really cool. I want you to understand that if the Bible's true, and if it's not, we're wasting our time, but it it is true. Since the Bible is true, we've got something infinitely better than that. God himself has taken on a body, has left the glories of heaven, and become obedient to the law. God himself lived a perfect life suffered all the indignities and pains and miseries of this life, had all the weight of sin put upon him, and died the the shameful death on a cross just to be close to you. That's, That's the message of the Bible. That's what Christmas is actually about, Charlie Brown. That God himself, who could live anywhere, (laughs) he does live everywhere actually, who could have stayed in heaven, who could have just wiped out this world of, of sin and misery and not worried with it another second. God himself, who has need of nothing, who has want for nothing, wants you wants to be in a relationship with you. As a matter of fact, he wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be in you, he says. He wants to make a home with you. That, that's the, the message that we're going to begin Christmas talking about. But it's really the message that's just gotten through to me over the last six weeks. As you know, by now, I, um, I got sick over the summer Ignored it for a really long time because I'm good at ignoring sickness. Like most men, it's a specialty of mine. Uh, finally went to the doctor, found out that I really was sick and wasn't going to be able to kind of sleep it off. And so I had to take some time off to kind of figure out life. And it was very weird 
because um, I've never not worked, right? And I didn't know what the Lord was doing. I was trying really hard to keep my heart open and be um, just be open to what he was calling me to in this new period. And, and during that period, um, I, I had a, a I have, still have, I, I noticed the print I have on my wall in the office. Uh, it's a print of Rembrandt's uh, Prodigal Son, Return of the Prodigal Son. And, and I was struck by it all, uh, all over again. And I went and bought a book by Andre Nguyen called The Return of the Prodigal, which is the story of his life when he was at a turning point in his ministry, and he was struck by this painting, uh, this beautiful painting of the, the prodigal son who's walked until his f- shoes have fallen off his feet, who's, who's worked until his, his hair's fallen out. He's, he's, he's completely and utterly bereft. He has nothing to offer. And he finally comes back to his father and receives this embrace, receives those beautiful hands comforting him. And in the midst of kind of meditating on that and reading that book, what I realized is that God wants nothing from me. God needs nothing from me. He just wants me. He just wants me to be in intimate relationship with him. He wants to move into my neighborhood. He just wants me. That makes sense, right? I mean, there's anything that God wants he can have. There's nothing that I can do that he couldn't have done better and faster and cleaner. He just wants me. Um, A friend of mine that I made over this last week in Arizona said it like this. He said, "As as I've meditated on who I am and who God is, what I've realized more than anything else is I'm just not that important. You know, I wanted to go out and change the world. I was a world changer, and uh, it didn't work out. And I'm just not that important. Now, that, you can take that two ways. Okay, there's one way of say, taking that, like when you hear you're not that important. You know, it makes you, like, sad. Like, oh, no, nobody cares. Oh, God cares. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He has given everything he could possibly give for you. He's nuts about you. But he doesn't need you. He's like a child, you know, in love with his hamster. You're not really adding anything to the room other than noise and poo. But, uh, but he loves you. He's crazy about it. But when I say you're not important, I want it to kind of relieve you. You're not a disappointment. You're not a failure. Because all he wants from you is you. He wants to move in. That's the, that's the message I want us to start off with Christmas. That the, the only true God, the God of heaven and earth, who can have anything, who can live anywhere, wants to make his home in you. And I hope you see how that changes everything. Please stand as we read from John chapter 14. Verses 18 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and, and manifest myself to him. And, and Judas, not, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine. It's the Father's who sent me. This far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The Lord of the universe... The only God of space, time, and dimension, the Lord of the universe, who could live anywhere and have anything, only wants you. Wants to make his home in you. Promises you. Jesus promises, if you love me, if you keep my word, I and my Father will come and make our home with you. Uh, John chapter 1 that we read is the, is the call to worship. God, the, the, the very God who, who created everything that has ever been created, the one who has been with the Father since the very beginning, the one that the Father has shown himself to, that, that from the very beginning, God and the Son, the Father and the Son, in this intimate relationship, he, that God, has taken on flesh. And as uh, Eugene Peterson uh, interprets it, has moved into the neighborhood to be close to you, has taken on flesh and dwelt with us, tabernacled with us, been in our presence because he wants to be close to you. Now, before we go any further, I, I get it. I want to just be very honest and, and clear. Everybody has got objections that keeps them away from Jesus. Everybody's kind of suspect when it comes to God. Um, and that could be for a, a bazillion different reasons, right? Maybe, uh, maybe your parents who drug you to church were just really bad. And you kind of associate all the bad things they did with the church. Maybe someone in the church hurt you terribly. Um, that happens a lot, unfortunately. Maybe um, you just, maybe you were drugged to um, one of those nightmare type uh, haunted houses and you just have awful views of what God does and you think, oh my gosh, he likes torturing people. Maybe, uh, maybe someone has taught you terrible theology and, and taught you that, that God hates your best friend for one reason or the other. I, I don't know. There's tons of, of, of reasons to, to kind of object to God and have, uh, and have these, these blocks between you and him. And, uh, and what I'm, I want you to do today is not look at the obstacles, but look at him. It, once you know him, once you trust him, 
then the obstacles begin to take on a different light. But if you don't know him, if you only know the obstacles, then, then what you think, the, the God that you think you believe in, you're actually just, what you're rejecting is a lie. What you're rejecting is a lie. I'll talk more about that in a second. But let's, let's just focus on him for, for, a, for a second. If it's true that he has come and dwelt in the, our neighborhood, what does that mean? It means it is he has taken it upon himself to overcome our alienation, to overcome the distance between us. I think one of the things that keeps people from the Lord a lot of times is it's just been a while since you've talked. And it's been so long since you've talked, you think that if you come back, he's going to be mad at you. He's going to give you the cold shoulder. Uh, I went to college in Nashville, and uh, the school I went to, we were very much in a bubble. I didn't have a car. We just kind of ignored everybody else in the universe but us, what most 18-year-olds do. Um, but that made my brother really sad. He lived in Nashville on the other part of the side of town. And uh, it just made him sad that he didn't get to see me. He was excited that I was moving there, excited that we were going to get to see each other a lot. And he was sad that we didn't. And even though he never said those words to me, my mom reminded me of them every Sunday, every time I called. Your brother's really disappointed that you don't call him. And I know what she wanted that reminder to do, but it did the opposite, right? I mean, hearing over and over again that somebody's really disappointed in you doesn't make you want to pick up the phone. And so I, I let it go so long without talking to him that it became a thing. Have you ever done that with a friend or a family member? Like, you just let it go so long that, that now you know if you pick up the phone and call, it's going to be weird. And so you certainly aren't going to do it now. And, and it's easy for us to get that feeling about God that it's just been so long since we've had any kind of intimacy with him, so long since we've really talked to him, that if we try to do it now, this is going to get weird. And I don't want to be weird. I mean, it's weird talking to God in the first place. It's a lot like talking to yourself sometimes. And that's weird. And so we just don't. And we kind of project this, this image on him of, that he's disappointed. And he's going to shun us if we say anything to him. And, and really one of the, the overwhelming things that we see when we actually look at the true God of the Bible is that not only is he not like that, but he's constantly coming after us. He's knocking at the door. All we have to do is open it. He moved into the neighborhood. He's coming to us. When, when Jesus is describing prayer, he says, he, he tells this weird parable about a friend who wakes up another friend at midnight. And uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of strange things about that parable. But when I was teaching it in college, I was a college minister for 11 years and used to do Bible studies in the fraternity houses, which is pretty funny. Because um, they have funny ways of putting things. And I was trying to explain that this parable is saying that God wants to be for you, the person you would ask for anything at any time. He wants you to know that he's the person you can wake up at midnight. And I was trying to kind of get that across, and one of the frat guys, he looks at me and goes, so what you're saying is, uh, when I haven't done laundry and I don't have any more underwear, and I go over and, and just go to my suite mate and say, hey, dude, can I borrow your underwear? Like He wants to be that guy. 
I said, exactly. God wants to be the guy you borrow underwear from in the morning. And uh, he got it. I was like, that's actually helpful. Um, he wants to be the one. Uh, he wants you to know that he is happy to see you. He's happy to, to let you borrow whatever. He's moved into the neighborhood just to be, prove that to you. He, he, he has closed the gap between us. He has taken away the alienation. And then he takes away our, our hostility. He changes our anger. You're probably not going to meet a lot of un, true atheists in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You're certainly not going to meet anybody who doesn't know who Jesus is at some level. They know the wrong one, but it's okay. Uh, what you are going to meet over and over and over are people who believe in God, but they're mad at him. And maybe that's you. They believe in God, but they just can't believe that he would let their brother die. That he would let their dad abandon the family. That he would let them get sick. That he would let them fail. They, they believe in him. They really do. Can't be mad at somebody who doesn't exist. They're just mad. And, and I want you to know that he gets that. He really does. He gets how broken and how awful this world is. That's the, that's the mind-blowing thing about Christmas. I think we've all, anyway, if you've been around the block at, at all, I've, this is my 54th trip around the block, so I've been around it a lot, right? You begin to figure out this world's not that great. You're like, hmm, it's not as fun as I thought it was when I was 18. And there's heartbreak out here. There's pain out here. You get disappointed. You get devastated. And what that does is it makes it amazing to think that, that God himself chose to live in it. He chose to. He took on flesh. He was born as a baby. He knows what it feels like to be poor, to be hated, to be hungry, to be made fun of, to be a refugee, to be an immigrant, to be uh, an outcast. He knows what it feels like to... to have friends die. He knows what it feels like to have friends betray him. He knows all those pains, every single one of them. Hebrews says he was tested in every way, even as we are. He, he learned obedience through suffering. He was perfected through suffering. And he did that voluntarily because he wanted to be close to you. He wanted to understand you. He, that, that empathy was brought out as a magnificent thing about him. That he gets it. He, when, when, when we want to say to him, well, why did you let this pain happen? He, he says to us, I know how bad it hurts. And you can trust me. You can trust me. And he goes even a step further. You see, God understands that we want to blame him. 
even though it's not his fault. He understands that we need somebody to blame. It's just kind of a human thing, right? I remember uh, having an argument, not really an argument, just listening to a friend of mine talk about the, uh, I don't know, do y'all remember this little thing called the COVID virus, coronavirus? Kind of made news a few years ago. And, uh, and this friend of mine was saying, I want it to be an, an invention of China. I want it to be so I have someone to be mad at. I'm not sure that'll help, but okay, I get this. I understand the sentiment, right? It just kind of helps when we have someone to be mad at. And nine times out of ten, if we don't find, can't find anybody in particular to be mad at, we just project it onto God. And the amazing thing about him is he takes it. He, he essentially says on the cross, okay, blame me. What do you want to do? You want to yell at me? You want to spit on me? You want to beat me? You want to humiliate me? Do you want to kill me? Okay. I'll take all of that. It's not my fault. It's actually your fault. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'll take the blame. Do you trust me now? You see, he, he, he steps in and takes all of that, knowing that only he can take it, and only he can fix it. And so he takes what he had not, did not have to take. I... Uh, Six weeks ago, the last time I preached, I, I finished the sermon uh, with an illustration from Pride and Prejudice. Knowing, I should have known, I didn't, but I should have known, that meant we were going to start watching Pride and Prejudice that afternoon. Uh, and so actually, and actually, we just finished it. And, um, and if you don't know the story, it's an amazing story that I'm about to ruin for you, but it was written about 200 years ago, so you had time. Um, but there's, it's this story about a whole lot of things going on, but at the, at the crisis point, this absolute scoundrel named Mr. Wickham uh, has, has eloped with, with no intention of marrying, the youngest daughter, uh, the just airheaded daughter of this family, and in doing that has, has devastated the family socially, meaning that no one's going to want to marry these girls and they're going to be bereft, and, um, and, and it's just huge crisis. And he's run up all these debts, and so no one will stand up for him. And he's abandoned his post in the, in the military. So if he is caught, he's going to be uh, thrown in jail. And, and, his, and the, the girl's got no one to take care of him. And she's too dumb to even know that. She's just so foolish. And so the, the hero of the movie, un, completely unbeknownst to the girl or to, the, to her family, goes into the slums and finds him pays all of his debts, even though they were not his to pay, buys him a commission in the military so that he can be, uh, again, socially acceptable, and stands up for him so that he can be married and, and forces him to be married. And, and ref without an ounce of blame, he didn't have to or need to do any of those things. He did them out of love for the family. It wasn't his fault but he paid for it. 
That's, that's what we do. That's what we do for our children all the time, right? They break our stuff. Children are terrible about that. And then they stop breaking and they just ask for stuff, which is even worse, right? They break their cars. They ask you to fix their cars. Like, it's not my fault. But you're dumb. And you're little. And you don't have any money. And I don't want you driving my car. So I'll buy you another one. That's what we do. That's what love does. And that's, that's what Christ has done for us. He said, yeah, you broke this world. But I'll take the blame for it. And I will fix it. And I will make it right. And, and if we let him, if we understand that he has done that for us, it changes our hostility. And finally, it takes away our fear of his hostility. He's, he's moved toward us. We don't have to live in this fear that, that to come to him is to receive scorn or shame. We don't have to, I just think so many of us grew up associating uh, religion and Jesus and church with, with rules and, and guilt and shame so that we believe that to come back and to have an intimate relationship with him, to embrace him, is, to, is going to require Feeling that shame. When the truth is that he's the most understanding person who's ever walked the earth. And what he wants to do is embrace us just the way the father embraces the prodigal son. And to give us his robe. And to give us his kiss. And to give us his ring. He's come toward us so that all we have to look forward to is that reunion. Best part of Christmas, well, there's two great things about December, right? One is Hallmark movies. We all love those, right? Of course. And the second is the commercials that you see during football games because all the commercials, uh, in case you don't know this, the, the military is having a hard time with recruiting right now. And so they're going to pour some money out in some TV commercials. And what we're going to see a lot of over the next 30 days is reunions. You know, those soldiers coming back and surprising their kids in grade school or surprising their brothers or sisters. And, and I'm going to be just like a big idiot crying in front of a commercial because I'm just a sucker for those things. And, and, and the question is, why, why do we love those? Why is that what they show us? And the reason why we love those reunion videos so much is because that is what you are created for. You exist for that feeling, that feeling of embrace, that feeling of welcome, that feeling of you have been separated your entire life from the one who loves you most, and here he is. You are living yearning for that. And when you experience it, you are complete. And that's why they strike a chord. That's why we long for them. And that is the beauty of Christmas, that if we receive Jesus' words and we follow him and we love him, he and the, we don't have to go home to the Father. He and his Father come to us, reveal themselves to us, and make their home with us.
That's Christmas. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these promises that far exceed anything we would have ever hoped or imagined. Not that you just would accept us or let us ride the bench on your team or whatever, but that you want to be friends with us. That you want to move in with us. Would you give us hearts to believe that? Would you give us... Sometimes, Lord, I don't know, sometimes you make it just sound too easy. What does that mean? We don't even know what it means. Whatever it means, Lord, we want to do it. We want to do it. We want to open ourselves up and receive you. In the name of your perfect Son, we pray. Amen.